This is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that are relevant to property management entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen, along with my spouse, Gwen. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. Go to anaquim.net right now and download an ebook on leadership development. Leadership development is super hard for small businesses, but we have a plan on how to do it well on a budget. Go to anaquim.net now, go to the book section, download your leadership development manual today. Today we're going to talk about creating a company culture that will make it so that your clients love you. In our conversation with Lisa Wise, we're going to discuss uh, company culture, defining company culture, kindness and how to incorporate it into your company. And also we're going to talk about paying rent for use of the planet. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So you are the CEO of Flock DC, which is a f- basically a family of real estate companies. Can you tell us more about yourself and your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the chief Flockster, uh, which means I'm the lady in charge or the boss lady, as lots of folks I like to call me. I love the chief office. Flockster so much. <laughs> And um, we are a real estate management company, uh, a number of birds of one kind. You'll notice we have a lot of bird-related uh, language that we use in branding, which we really enjoy. And, and if you like one bird, you might as well like all the birds. So we really went in on uh, the flight metaphors. And so we manage about $2 billion in real estate in Washington, D.C. proper, which means we only manage right now uh, property in Washington, D.C. itself. So we're have a focus on urban property management, which has its own unique challenges and um, is a great experience for us. We have about 70 team members and uh, we are, um, I think, probably one of the largest management companies in the DC area. And um, it's great to be here. And we, we are very happy to be working with Anaquim on, uh, on our remote professional workforce, which has been fantastic for us. Well, great. Well, you know, the reason we're having you on the show is because you've spoken at numerous conferences and I've heard you and been inspired by you on the subject of company culture. So I'm just curious, how do you frame company culture? Like what is your mission, your values, your vision with that? Culture is something that is three-dimensional and it's not a checklist item. So it's basically what happens when the boss leaves the room. (laughs) It's what you don't always account for. It's not always measurable. It's a feeling, uh, it's part of the fabric of the organization, um, but it's intended to really motivate people to bring their best self. um, And it motivates the company to treat people as if they're bringing their best selves. Um, We are a mission-based organization uh, with a vision and we believe that Um, it's important to put people and place above profit. And we believe that when you do that, you'll likely be more profitable. In other words, we want people to feel like the work that they do each and every day makes a difference. And we think about property management as something that touches people's lives every single day, whether they know it or not. There is someone behind them, a manager, who's responsible for making sure that their experience in that space is a good one. And when you think about our work from a mission perspective and you invite your team members to understand that everything that they're doing makes the world a better place, provided we're all intentionally asking ourselves how we can do our best possible work, 
it, it frames the idea of culture very clearly. Uh, and it gives people a, a sense of purpose in their own role in the workplace. Um, and then you fold in things like fun and caring about whole people and not just their, their value as an asset, um, but their contribution as whole human beings. And suddenly you start to see that culture really build on itself and people wanting to be at work instead of wanting to get done with their work. Yeah. Something that we do that I think kind of fits into this, which I think maybe you'll appreciate, but I'm curious. Um, we frame Anaquim, our company, as what we want it to be is an instrument for our employees to use to live the life that they want to live, right? Because at the end of the day, we don't really have a choice. That's what's going to happen. And it just seems like a bit of a shortcut to embrace it and just make sure that <laughs> what you've got is what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an, it's a, there, there has to be a partnership and it has to be relational. So, you know, if, if people have uh, a set of shared interests and objectives, uh, which means you have to see things from other people's perspectives. And, it, and, and, and that truly means just being empathic, not only as a company, but as individuals when we come to work, um, empathic toward our, our community and toward our residents as well. So when you were founding the Flock uh, group of real estate companies, did you know from the beginning that you were starting a company that was mission driven or did this kind of evolve over time? 100% I knew out of the gate, this would be a, a mission driven company. I have a nonprofit background. I spent ah. 15 years managing nonprofits and uh, really my origin story is about being a purpose driven person. Uh, I lived in 23 different spaces before I went to college across five different states. Wow. And the housing insecurity that I experienced growing up really informed my sense of wanting to be in a professional space that made a contribution. And I really wanted to work in justice-oriented uh, missions. So healthcare and the environment were the two topics that I, I spent the most time working on professionally um, and, and found my way to management and to managing real estate um, as sort of a side hustle, to be honest. And that eventually kind of eclipsed my day jobs and became my, my entire professional focus and really a huge part of my identity. And it then made perfect sense, of course, that I would, I would infuse all of the values that I, I learned from in operating in a nonprofit environment and bringing some of, of that magic into a for-profit space where I actually decided I could make more of a difference managing property than I was making in, in the environmental movement or in some cases, even the healthcare movement. Wow, I love that. And so from the beginning, you had this this vision. Did you already have the skills to manage teams at that point? or Because as you said, uh, culture is 3D. I love that because we can talk all day about mission, vision, values, but there's so much more to how that appropriates, it, appropriates itself or shows up in the day-to-day. -day. So that day-to-day -day thing, were you good at that from the beginning or did you kind of have to struggle through to make the, the culture strong when you were coming up with your business or just starting? I, I think I'd come to the work with a fairly decent sense of how to manage teams, but I hadn't managed teams dealing with so much drama. <laughs> so property management is very drama driven uh, and you have to be sort of level-headed as you manage that drama. And you know, uh, I can offer this. I don't get into anything really knowing what I'm doing. 
So I have a lot more fun uh, throwing the instructions away and just getting started and hoping for the best and knowing that if I have passion and I have good intention and I have mission, then I'll, I'll find myself on the right side of the equation. And that's been true for this, this work. And it's also been, you know, what I think has been attractive um, in terms of building a culture that people want to work within and for. And so we have enjoyed a lot of longevity among our, our senior team members in particular. So um, our flock leadership team, which is seven people strong, um, most of the folks on that team started as assistants and have grown up and into very senior roles where there are C-level um, executives now and can um, offer very sophisticated skill sets. Um, but with me, you know, they, they found an, an iterative way to get into the business and to learn uh, completely new work styles and approaches to, to creating systems that help us do our, our best possible work and be the best possible management company we could be. And in, and, and being the best possible management company, we have to be the best possible workplace. And those are completely intertwined. And so, you know, yes, I had some experience. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. And I'm still really comfortable with that. So when we talk about the dimension of culture, so we have the vision, mission, values, but then there's that day-to-day -day stuff, like there's giving feedback to people and how we do that. There's the meeting cadence, there's holding people accountable. Um, there's a directness to each culture of like how direct is the communication style. Can you kind of speak to some of those, how, how you do things and how that relates to your culture? Sure. We've had to establish a lot more formality as we've grown. So there's the the kind of fly by the seat of your pants approach we got to enjoy early on um, is not available to us. So people have asked, how did you organize the work when you first started? And I said, well, whoever answered the phone or saw the email first was in charge of whatever was going on with that phone call or that email. And that works just fine when you have a handful of properties and, and a handful of team members. But as the build, as the work builds on itself and, and you start to become more established and you have uh, more clients and accountability, then you need you need to in, in, increase structure and you need to you know also increase benefits and you need to sort of think about what it means to be a workplace where people come to work knowing that they're entitled to a certain level of feedback and formality and benefits and pay and all those things that um, I think create legitimacy and keep people seated and happy and, and engaged in their work. And so, you know, our HR work has become more and more pronounced and robust and, and we've not shied away from spending money on what we might call back of the house team members. And, the, and those team members look at our staff as, as their client base. And so, um, you know, we've staffed our, our people ops is what we call that team. And, you know, it, we, we continue to invest in that team so that, that they're able to support um, meeting cadence and culture cadence and trainings and something that we call Flock University, where people are constantly being uh, reminded of how we operate, why we operate the way that we do, what it means to engage with our client and resident base, how, what, how we position ourselves as a community-oriented company. Um, We've, we've got a very uh, intentional cadence of one-on-one -on -one meetings. You have an expectation that you'll be meeting with your supervisor directly each week in a one-on-one -on -one format, um, week after week. How after long week. Are, the, are those meetings, like a half hour? Typically, they're 30 minutes, mm -hmm. and, um, and then we'll do director-level meetings, and then we'll do manager-level meetings. Uh, we've, um, we've, we've rolled out the traction model, which I know yeah. is popular among a lot of property management companies. I'm finding this popular among a lot of different companies. I'm a member of Entrepreneurs Organization and Traction is quite popular in that um, network EO. as well. Yeah, we're yeah. in EO yeah. as well. 
Nice. Okay. Um, So, you know, we have created as much structure around how we run meetings as possible so that, you know, you know, when you come to the table that you're going to be productive um, and you know exactly what you can expect of your teammates and you know exactly what you can expect of your supervisor, um, which I think enhances accountability overall. And when there's accountability, then you can, you can rest assured that like what it is that your company's working to deliver, um, you can count on that. And, and I think that that also creates a, a, a fair accountability that, that we have on, on behalf of our client base as well. And so, you know, we've gotten, like I said, more and more formal over the years, which I, I don't tend to be a very formal person. So a little bit of that is counterintuitive, but I can offer that what I want and how I work is not necessarily relevant to how the business and the company needs to run. Um, and so I look to and count on and completely trust my senior management team when they say we have to have weekly meetings so, um, and they have to be really formulaic. That's what we do. When you say formal, um, does it also mean that you adhere or use uh, policies, procedures and processes pretty routinely? We do. Um, and we have a really formal culture book. Uh, we have a we have a wiki site where basically all of the flock collateral and all of those policies and procedures from boilerplate to templates to slide decks to what are the you know corporate um, Pantone colors, <laughs> all of that yeah. is in a wiki. So we've been constantly referring back to what is the bolus of uh, both cultural and corporate collateral that we draw from to make sure that we're really consistent in the way that we do our work. So, cause you are consistent in a way that I think is not typical in the property management realm in terms of your branding and marketing. It's very, it seems very intentional. It's very beautiful. I mean, I'm in awe of it to be perfectly honest, but that is probably, that seems like it is just indicative of how you run the business with just, you, you're very clear on what your missions are, your mission is, what your culture is and everything kind of goes from that point all the way through your marketing. So can you speak, because marketing is something that a lot of people care about, but how that is intertwined with your culture? Yeah. Um, It's interesting, like who finds property management companies attractive? (laughs) Pretty much nobody. Right. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that we did when we decided to create a brand um, at the most granular level, like what is our logo going to be? And so we just sort of did a survey of well, what other property management companies logos look like. We'll do the opposite. <laughs> so like with every decision oh. we make about managing and running our company or designing our company or you know, whatever it is, we look at what the industry does and then we do everything the, the opposite way. So is there an um, industry that you think is a good uh, like mo- inspiration for you? That you-, you know, sales does a really good job. So if you're looking at real estate sales, and a lot of management companies um, will also do sales and vice versa, we don't do sales. Um, but you know, if you're if you're good at sales and you're sophisticated, then what you're doing is you're inviting people to creatively visualize themselves in the space that you're selling. Um, property management companies don't take the time to always do that. And so we started with that being kind of the secret sauce around how we market not only ourselves, but the properties that we manage. I've noticed a lot of property management companies don't even market the properties in their web ecosystem. And that's a missed opportunity. So we decided to use our website to showcase properties that people wanted to creatively visualize themselves in. So from the very start, we spent a lot of money on professional photographs. Um, and, and with a lot of protocols around things like if the toilet seats up, start over, like 
make sure the blinds are up, make sure that the bed is made, make sure that there's not pet food out on the counter. Like you do everything you possibly can to style that space in such a way that anybody that looks at it is gonna wanna see themselves in that space. And management just hasn't taken the time to do that. And I think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it always feels a lot like uh, property management companies are always a little bit behind the eight ball. And that's kind of what we're trying to change with this broad, with these, um, this show and even our own company. It is an industry that can be professionalized um, but there's a large percent of even still, um, companies that aren't quite there yet. And I'll tell you, once you get into a more of a professional environment and you kind of have that expectation of yourself, everything ends up being way easier. So, and actually I've got, I can segue that into a question. Um, when it comes to your culture, how does that determine or help you determine who you will do business with in terms of your client base. Do you right. have a selection process that might just be like, nope, not a fit? Yeah. Well, they have to be willing to um, maintain their spaces uh, to a highest possible standard, right? So like we're not taking property that isn't well-maintained and we're not taking property that won't show well. And we're not taking property from an investor that's not interested in making sure that it stays in good repair. So we're very, very selective about the kind of properties that we'll uh, manage in our portfolio. And that alone uh, not only helps us differentiate ourselves as a company that showcases exceptional property, but it also reduces things like conflict with owners who don't want to spend the money. It reduces evictions. I mean, we've had a handful of evictions over the last 13 years um, and for very good reason. So late payment, like all the things that sort of tend to plague the industry, we've, we've been able to really avoid because and, of the way that we've selective. And there is a little bit of a trap in this, right? Because especially when you're a smaller property management company, trying to come, a uh, come to your, in your own and, and, you know, thrive, there are always going to be opportunities for you to take on clients that may not have even good intentions. So one time, this is years ago, we had a client that had somewhere in the neighborhood of about a hundred houses in what we, it's our North, it's North Omaha. And that's uh, kind of, uh, uh, it's not the better part of town, put it that way. And so we were having a meeting with him and the, we, one of our questions was, what's your objective for it? And he goes, well, it's just a cash flow. Okay. Well, let's drill down on that a little bit. What he really wanted to do was only cash flow. His objective was to bring as much cash out of the building as he could. And the exit plan was to leave the parcel with the city for them to demolish it. So that is a type of client that while the, it might look like with 100 units at 10% management fee, you might be able to make some money on it. But man, you, the damage you'll do to your reputation, the work that you will put into it, the, the news coverage that you're ultimately going to have to be involved in is not going to pay off and it's unethical it's evil you know there's that part of it too but, but those when you're opportunities just starting, are going to come up when you're just starting when you're just starting you're, you're, you're going to want to support do it. your family and you're starting a new business it's easy to compromise your value yeah. so lisa when you were in that stage of your business where you're just starting out and you know money was maybe tighter than you'd like how did yeah. you maintain the resolve to do to stick with your vision and stick with your culture when it would have been easy to take a compromising property, for example. Yeah, that's an easy answer. I worked a whole full-time job for four years on top of running this company. Yep. So you just made it so that you, 
you could ha you financed your startup in a way that you could be choosy because that's the way you wanted to run your company. Exactly. Okay. So so that's important for people to know. I mean, that because people do compromise their values especially w when finances are tight and then they take on a client or a property that doesn't align with their values and that's when people get into trouble and then you're kind of chasing your tail with your reputation and all that kinds of thing. I think that happens a lot in the industry. Yeah. Well, and let's be honest. I mean, I've certainly had some properties that we think, uh oh, that probably wasn't a good fit. And like, so there must have been enough of it that that seemed like it was aligned that we were willing to say, OK. And then, you know, when we reflect back. But, you know, every year we we call our list of clients and say, are you know, is there anybody that we really need to invite to leave? Um, and we're very comfortable um, parting ways with clients that don't share our values. So um, what about, uh, do you listen to your team if there's like an abusive owner? I mean- That's a, that's just to fire them without even bringing it up to anybody. Okay. That's non-negotiable. If somebody's being abusive to our team, then they can't stand the portfolio full stop. And you let them know that ahead that's of time? Because some people- uh, It's in the contract. Okay. So we have a we have a, we have have a a clause in the contract that if they're being abusive, then, then it's cause for immediate termination. Um, and uh, that in, it's even more granular. What we'll say if you use, um, you know, swear language or other th or other threatening language in any kind of correspondence, then that's cause for immediate termination. And we're I'm very comfortable exercising <laughs> that yeah, clause. Right. Yeah. And at the, at the end of the day, like um, I'm always going to put my staff first because mm -hmm. they're the ones that need to deliver the service. So if you don't take care of them, then they're not going to take good care of your clients. And so that's the order <laughs> of priority. And I can tell you, if you want to talk about building culture, when you are when you are empowering your staff to fire clients because they're they're not being appropriate, they're not aligned with us, they're being um, they're not being uh, respectful. That is a very that's a that's definitely a vote in favor of the people in the room versus those that you know are are writing checks and and it, it's a game changer for us. I think it's really morale building um, and it creates and, loyalty with yes, your staff. 100%. And yes. what do you, okay, so that's one takeaway. What would you say is the, if you're talking to a property management company and you can identify that maybe they don't have a really strong culture, um, what's the one or two best take, easiest takeaways for somebody to course correct and finally ultimately have uh, a, a nice culture, a great culture? Well, paying them well. Pay above market is the first one. Pay people what they're worth. Uh, don't take home all the profits and keep them to yourself. Share them. Reward your talent. They need to make a living. They should be living comfortably if they're working hard for you. Um, don't don't make your money by underpaying people. Right. It doesn't work. It's 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 hard to do that. Um, I do want to go back to one thing. You said that you had a training. Per, what do you call it? Flock University. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so retraining people, that's always like people in property management will spend the first few weeks training somebody, but then they're like, oh, you're trained. We're done with that. It sounds like you have ongoing training. Is that, are there yeah. certain classes that you make them take every year or how does the ongoing training work? And what does it, what does training look like at Flock? 
uh, well, it's changed a bit during the pandemic, obviously. And so um, this is one of the pandemic perks that we've experienced is that we're able to record a lot of those for Zoom trainings and things and have people sign off on that. Um, and so we don't have to represent things, right? It depends on how interactive those trainings are. Uh, we do full day quarterly retreats. And so training is always baked into that. Um, sometimes it's training around core values. Uh, we'll sit around and ask ourselves, like, where do we need refreshers? There's always an annual customer service training. We make people sign um, a customer service training, like a contract, basically, on how responsive they'll be. The, like, we won't let people send out emails unless they have salutations. Um, this is how you start an email. Like, it, it, it's so specific um, because some people things come very naturally. And for other people, they, they need a, 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 a little bit of a guidebook on how it is that we wanna make sure that we have absolute continuity across all team members around how we interface with our client base. And uh, making sure that we have those refreshers is really important uh, and having commitments from folks. So that we'll continue those. We also have a lot of just sort of HR poly, um, trainings that we'll go through from uh, a lot of diversity, equity and inclusion work to you know the, the um, the critical and necessary things like sexual harassment trainings and things like that. And so those we actually, from an HR perspective, do have them sign off on at certain intervals. Uh, but we do, um, you know, again, we do have the the quarterly staff retreats that give people an opportunity Is to- Is that everybody else? Everybody's involved oh. in those? Typically, yes. Um, and then, you know, we rethink everything every quarter, right? One of the things that I can offer about our company, um, for as consistent as we are, we're also super flexible. <laughs> so if something's not working, we just stop doing that thing. So if you find that convening a huge staff is no longer uh, efficient, and that it's actually not in everybody's best interest, then we'll just stop doing that. So, <laughs> so I, we'll probably break people down into departments and divisions. That makes me think of something. Um, so... How do you identify or what is the mechanism that is deployed to notify leadership that something isn't working, right? So because, you know, some people, you know, you go back and you look at somebody doing their job after, you know, and you start to see things that they're doing that look nonsensical and yet they mm -hmm. do it every single or it's time. different than how you train them because it like evolved and then yeah then you look at it again and you're like wait this isn't what we well, or or sometimes worst case scenarios <laughs> is that dumb thing is somehow infused into a procedure that somebody like they added the dumb thing into a procedure so it's codified like it's what they're supposed to do but so how how do you how do you tease that out of the departments or the the employees so that it can come to you know come to uh, a position where it's being talked about? Mm -hmm. Well, again, we have the one-on-ones every week. Uh, so there's a lot of accountability there. Uh, the traction model actually gives us an opportunity by tracking data and, and metrics to say, is there a dip here? Is there something not going well that should be? Um, so there are indicators that, that we build into our, our weekly check-ins that give us a chance to say like something's off. Uh, we do a lot of spot auditing so we will come up with a basically a random list of clients uh, that we'll call and say, how's your experience? How are you doing? Uh, we, send, we send client surveys out and we ask very specific questions on how their, their um, interface with our team members has gone. We ask for names. Uh, we also survey our staff. Uh, we do staff surveys quite often uh, and we'll ask our, our team members what is working and not working uh, and where can we be more efficient and where, where is there confusion? Um, so there are a lot of checkpoints where we where we stop and pause and say, we need feedback and we need as much feedback as possible so that we know that we're doing our best work. 
Um, is that a quality control department? Is it like somebody's job just to do quality control? Um, it, it's everybody's job. Mm -hmm. So I would say that there's a percentage of each person's job that is about making sure that there's, there's kind of quality control. Um, but the mandate and how we operationalize that usually comes from our leadership team. Very. So I did want to go back to your training because I'm just, people really struggle with training and property management companies. Mostly because they don't do it. But did you create all of that <laughs> training yourself or did your organization create it or did you rely on an outside source for some of it? Um, with the exception of kind of the compliance HR related trainings, uh, which we do uh, have a firm that produces those, um, everything else we produce in-house. Um, we do all of our branding, websites, photography, everything is in-house. Um, and that's kind of the way we like it. We even have in-house general counsel. So the more we can kind of control our environment and how we manage and produce the content services, whatever it looks like, the better, um, because we are so specific about the way that we structure our work and our culture and, and branding and vision and marketing and, and all of it, right? So um, we're also fortunate enough um, that we have a couple of people that come from a teaching background, uh, more than a couple. And the president of our company, Grace Langham, is a former second grade teacher and nobody enjoys putting together trainings than, than she does. <laughs> so she loves building trainings. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're always really um, interactive, engaging. Um, they're different every time. Lots of group exercises, lots of opportunities for people to collaborate, lots of uh, opportunities to um, uh, create together. Um, and so, I think because we've had a lot of people that in-house have that in-house specialty around training and education, we've been able to produce a lot of content pretty easily. Um, that's super robust. Um, and it's been a huge win. I can say, I can offer that folks coming to, to work with us. And, and that's really sort of the continuing education piece the Flock University piece where we keep adding value to the training components. Um, and then we also have um, the HR onboarding piece where people understand like they'll, they'll, They'll learn about our culture. They'll learn about our team members. They'll learn about, you know, sort of that history of the organization and all of our different protocols and all the different tools that we use. And, and we have so many tools that we use, right? So that onboarding process, they don't, people don't even hit their desk for a week. They're in full training. Um, and and I, I think I've heard great feedback from people saying like, wow, I've never had an onboarding process like that one. So they feel prepared for the jobs that they're going to do, at least from understanding from a corporate perspective, what they need to know. Um, so I'm going to try and put out a question here. Um, the, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to presume that you're probably left-leaning politically. And that's not the discussion we want to go with. But there is a general understanding um, in business that, you know, kind of the model has always been the industrial revolution cogs. Uh, you know, having employees as cogs, um, you know, in, in your production line. So what is it that maybe gave you uh, the courage or the, um, the, the, I don't know, faith might be the right word, to enter into a private sector with more of the, uh, I don't know, social justice kind of approach? What, uh, is, there, is there literature or is it just kind of a hunch? Um, and I say that because, you know, for anyone else that's trying to be in the industry, maybe they'll be more comfortable having other sources like you or um, literature that might help guide them. 
Yeah. Well, I just wrote a book about this very thing. You did? Uh, I, I did. Um, well, we need to promote so, your book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Tell us about it. When the book is published, we can, we can promote it, but the book title is uh, self-elected how to put people in place over profit and soar. Um, because we have to get a bird theme in there. Right. Yep. Um, and I, I truly believe that when you do good work, there's more good work. And we've always measured profit, not in dollars, but in the number of good jobs we've created. I believe that investing in community, in your talent, in the, in the world around you, and being um, very intentional about the kind of change you want to see in the world and contributing to that change as a company uh, uniquely positions your company. It differentiates your company. And people, uh, as, especially as we are now our Generation uh, Z, millennials, they are not going to outperform their parents. So if... If your pathway in life has has traditionally been, you know, you sort of go after that, the, the bigger house, the bigger income, um, bigger and better. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen. I have $200,000 in student loan debt and nobody can afford real estate anymore. So what am I going to look forward to in life in terms of saying, I, I believe that I've succeeded. And I think people are, are a lot more interested in align, aligning their lives with their value system. And I think in terms of how people engage with and want to do business, there are more and more people who say, it matters to me where my dollar's being spent and which companies I'm wanting to associate with and do business with. And that's why we're seeing companies like Tom's and um, Farm Girl, Girl Flowers and uh, Warby Parker and Bombas and you know the list goes on of companies that are saying, wait a minute, we have a we have a social justice stake. Patagonia says, you know, uh, their charitable giving, which is unbelievably robust, is just really their it's it's them paying rent for their use of the planet. Mm. Um, there's nothing necessarily unique or or um, misaligned in terms of the way that we're doing things. We're saying that shareholder capitalism uh, is is outdated and then stakeholder capitalism is really a better path forward. We, we are um, a company that believes in abundance and sharing in our wealth. Uh, and that includes sharing within our, our company, but also outside of our company and, 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 and really investing in the future that we want to be part of. And so we are unapologetically political. We are a social justice company. And um, if people are, are not interested in doing business with us for that reason, that's completely fine. <laughs> so that they can elect to do business wherever they'd like, and that is their choice. Um, I also enjoy the luxury of being in an environment uh, in Washington, D.C., where pretty much 9.2 out of 10 people agree with me. Yeah. And uh, that that actually does a nice thing for my company, right? People in, in our environment here are pretty motivated to do business with companies like ours. Um, but I also believe that we're able to make a measurable difference in people's lives. Um, and part of that is by, again, creating good jobs uh, with robust wrap, wraparound benefits that actually help them achieve wealth and buy homes and take care of their children and pay off their student loans and you know have a stake in ownership and all of these things that uh, a lot of people don't feel uh, will be part of their future. We want to help them get there. So that that's super inspiring to me. I love it so much because at Adequim, one of we have like two missions to provide an amazing service to our clients and to transform labor or work in the emerging markets. And I always tell people like, why even wake up in the morning if you're not going to do good things and spread positivity? Like I might as well live on a farm and you know just have my 
can and take care, you know, just live alone. I don't know. I just, there's and, no point in doing anything else. And you'll, you'll, I think kind of dovetailing from that, you might appreciate this, but, um, we've recently endeavored, we've kind of taken on a new, um, approach to how we handle the employees. We've got about 800 employees. Um, and we don't have a customer service department for them in the HR department. We have hired a profile for, um, we're looking for social workers. So we're hiring social workers to come on board so they can really empathize, uh, you mentioned earlier, with what the employee is going through and kind of, you, in more of an artistic way, address the issue. It can't be a matrix X and Y equals give them $12.26. It has to be like, oh, what's going on? Uh, and find out and then kind of use available resources to kind of talk in the same currency that might be useful to them. We're calling them remote professional advocates. Yeah. Because their job yeah. is to advocate for the employee on their behalf. So we've taken a, a note from your book because we've been inspired by you and we want to also just want to live this way. It, but if I'm a regular property manager and, you know, maybe I didn't grow up in a space where I don't have a social justice background and I'm just trying to feed my family and I really haven't focused on culture before because we were just trying to, you know, market and make owners happy and we're just focused on the day-to-day. -day. What steps can somebody take to make culture more of a priority in their organization? I think number one is having empathy uh, for your teams and asking yourself, how their jobs feel, uh, what they're like, uh, what would what would make that job better, what would being associated with your company um, be, uh, you know, put them in the plus category instead of the minus category. Um, how do you assign value to the work that they're doing? Uh, reminding them that the work that they're doing makes a difference, and you know, treating them again like whole humans, not just assets, is a big part of it. It's just acknowledging that there are whole human beings in the room um, versus folks that need to go run tickets or get back to clients or, you know, be resilient when people are cranky because that's what this business is all about. Mm -hmm. um, you have to invest in them as, as people. And when you start seeing them as whole people, it's a lot easier to figure out what culture is going to actually resonate for them. And culture is different everywhere. And, you know, social justice doesn't need to be a movement. It can just be a matter of saying, hey, we manage communities. And so we should care about our community. <laughs> it's not actually that complex. It's saying, you know, we want to give back to the community that supports us. And there can be very simple, achievable ways of doing that that are both free um, and and also create more visibility. I mean, it's a win-win all the way around when you're doing that. You know, and just it does it does kind of roll up to the golden rule, right? I mean, in a way, just treat people like the way that you want to be treated. You know, if you're in their situation, it's that's kind of a baseline rule. You know, for I remember I remember being at a property management conference and. Uh, years ago and they they had us break into groups and and talk about how we could really reward our staff um and i find that i find that we don't have a lot in common with most companies in those settings right like we're just in a different kind of category and this guy you know we're, we're sitting around the table and this guy said like you know i've, I've figured something out here I, what i do is on fridays i give the girls who do the filing free starbucks and they love it and then he looked at me and he's like, oh, you know, this lady's not going to go for this at all. Right. When he's looking at me, he's just like waiting for me to sort of pounce on him. And I, I just, I said, well, why are you doing filing? <laughs> yeah. like You're right. Idea. Why in the hell are you filing anything? Yeah. So <laughs> much less uh, enough like, filing that someone needs a cup of coffee. 
<laughs> exactly. Shit. So, or a whole day set aside. I was like, let's get down, let's drill into the real problem here, which is that you're having people file. Um, so you have other other concerns than than culture and morale. But I think I think one of the things that, that can be tricky about property management is that you know you're asking people to do tasks sometimes in the hardest possible ways or in inefficient ways. I mean, you need to streamline the work and make it doable and achievable, and like people can be successful. I find that property management because uh, you know, in order to grow and be successful, you're, you're just layering more work on work on work on work on work, and you're not always finding efficiency. Unless you stop and say there has to be a better way of economizing and creating streamlined systems, then I'm just going to burn people out. Right. And they're not going to like the work because the work's not getting done well. So if you, if you commit yourself organizationally to doing the best work in the most efficient possible way, then you're going to always lose people. So, you know, it's, it's, it's two parts. You have to work the culture, but you also have to work the company and make sure that it does, it does things as well as possible. And one of our mantras around the office is if there's a better, faster, smarter way of doing things, by all means, start doing it that way, not the old way. Right. Um, and explore that's, that's, that is explore not easy for people technology. to do. It takes a lot of time. You have oh. to you have to sit down and break your company and then put it back together in a better way. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of intentionality. And we do it all the time. And whenever um, someone answers the question I ask, uh, because that's how we've always done it, I always think it's a joke. Like it's like a caricature. You can't, any employee that's listening right now, to, and don't ever say that because that's the way we do it. That's the that's a terrible answer. It drives no me crazy. It happened last week to me. I was like, oh, it, really? So yeah, don't do that. Children. Right. <laughs> anyway. Well, Lisa, it is so lovely to have you on the show. As always, of course, we have to have you back when your book yeah. is on the market. I cannot wait to read it. It's super exciting. And Thank you. It's yeah. such a pleasure to talk to you about culture because um, as we're all starting to think about 2022, this is a moment in time where people can really transform what their company feels like to work in and feels like to work with. And, you know, you can start out fresh. So thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. Go to anaquim.net today and download a free ebook on leadership development. A players only want to work at companies that invest in them. This manual tells you how to, on a budget, train and develop your employees. Go to anaquim.net today and download your leadership development manual, and I guarantee you're gonna be happy about it. <laughs> this is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business.